This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
2 Kings chapter 5 will provide the foundation for our, our thoughts. You've had a couple of weeks of a much-needed break from me, and um, I've had a couple of weeks of a break from you, which I didn't need. But thank you to those of you who, who stepped in, and uh, you know, you didn't fill in. You actually took it to a new level, and I just I appreciate those that are always willing to to help and ministry at the Church of God Holiness does not suffer when our pastors are away. And thank you so much to all of you who helped us out. Um, today we're going to continue with message number six in our series, sermon series entitled Crazy Faith. And if you're joining us for the first time or for the first time in a while, this is a study of a man named Elisha who had crazy like faith and God used him as the point man in performing more miracles than anyone else besides Jesus Christ, at least recorded miracles. And let me just remind you where we've been in the series. In week number one, we burned plows. Week two, we dug ditches. Week three, we gathered jars. Week four, we looked for an axe. Week five, we looked for some food. Today, we're going to dip in a river. And unless I'm led differently, our next message, and of course, New Destiny will be here next Sunday, but the following Sunday, uh, probably we'll close out this series. And in that message, we will be talking about another very strange miracle. And I, I've told you that Elisha was involved in probably the most non-traditional miracles in all of the Bible. But I think our next lesson tops them all for being bizarre. If you like bizarre make sure you're here. Let me give you just a little teaser for that lesson. It will have some of the same elements that you would typically find in a spooky horror movie around Halloween time. Uh, it's also the kind of story the boys would tell around a campfire if they were trying to scare the girls. This account involves human bones that have been in the ground a while. It will almost sound make-believe. But this strange event was not just a make-believe scary Halloween story, but rather this event really took place and was the final miracle attributed to Elisha. But that's next time. Meanwhile, back at the ranch today, we're going to um, backtrack a couple of chapters from where we were in our, in our prior lesson and look at a miracle of Elisha that is probably one of his better-known miracles. Now, some of his miracles, such as the one that we talked about last time, what was it, three weeks ago, where the people of Israel were eating donkey's heads and dove's dung. Remember that one? Uh, that, that was, uh, not, not too many people heard about that one because, I mean, you don't teach that in VBS. Uh, and, and some of you say, praise God for that. Uh, and then we talked about another one where, uh, remember, 42 young men made fun of Elisha because he had a bald head. And remember what happened? Uh, 
bears came out of nowhere and they took care of that problem. Uh, so these are maybe miracles that were not as familiar. But if you've attended church at all, you know, as a child, you went to VBS, you will know today's story well. It involves a man named Naaman. Naaman was a, a mighty general in the Syrian army or also known as the Aramean army. Naaman had pretty much everything going for him. He had wealth. He had medals of bravery. He had respect. He had a position of authority. He was even a buddy of the king. But despite all of this, Naaman had something that made all of these things seem pretty insignificant. Naaman had the dreaded disease of leprosy. Here's what I found. You know, when a terminal disease strikes someone, it levels the playing field. Wealth, power, accomplishments fade into the background when someone comes down with a terminal disease. And that's what happened with Naaman. He, he, he was this important figure, a mighty general, but he had the dreaded terminal disease of leprosy. Leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease. And, and there are different types of leprosy, but I researched the type of leprosy that was prevalent in the Old Testament and, and found out that normally it began as a, a, small, a small red spots on the skin. Over time, the spots got bigger and bigger and, and they started to turn white with sort of a shiny or scaly appearance. After a brief period of time, the, the spots spread over the entire body and the victim's hair began to fall out, first from the head and, and then from the eyebrows. As the leprosy worsened, fingernails and toenails became loose and they rotted and eventually fell out off. Then the joints of the fingers and the toes began to rot and, and fall off one at a time. Gums began to shrink and they couldn't hold the teeth anymore. Leprosy kept eating away at the leper's face until literally the nose and, and the palate and even the eyes rotted. And the victim wasted away until death. And Naaman had this terrible, dreaded disease that, that isolated him from others and would eventually bring a tremendous amount of suffering to him and no doubt end his life prematurely. Let's go ahead and pick up our reading. And, and we're, we're going to read a little bit more than we normally do, but I believe it's important for us to get a, a, an overview before we zoom in on some specific details. And, and, and I'm going to challenge you. Could, could you just look up here a second? Would you really pay attention to the Word? I, I, I'm a human like you are. And I'm not always preaching. Sometimes I'm listening. And, and, and I found that sometimes when, when somebody reads a lot of Scripture, what happens? My mind wanders away. And so let, let's just kind of, if you've got a, a, a ADD, why don't you harness uh, your ADD? And uh, let's just really focus in on God's Word. Try to understand what it's saying here. Second Kings chapter 5. And I'm going to read about know, 13, 14 verses, something like that. The king of Aram had high admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now groups of Aramean raiders 
had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to carry to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out taking his gifts. Listen to this. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of this leprosy. When the king of Israel read it, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can kill and give life? He's only, this was his suspicion, he's only trying to find an excuse to invade us again. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard about the king's reaction, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would surely come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the Abana River and Farpar River of Damascus better than all of the rivers of Israel put together? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something great... Wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply to go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his flesh became as healthy as a young child's. And he was healed. Father, I just pray. I pray for your spirit to just settle down upon us today. God, I'm well aware that I don't have anything earth shattering. I don't have anything from Joe Trussell that would make this worthwhile. But I know that when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers and instructs I I, I know that our time here can be a powerful time and so I pray that I wouldn't go about this by myself but that your Holy Spirit would just use your word and that we would leave here better people because of what Jesus has done will do and wants to do in our lives I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many approaches we could take to this lesson. Three or four or five. However, we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at the matter of Naaman's obedience. And the reason I want to zero in on on this matter is because if there's something that I think we struggle with as followers of Jesus Christ, it's the matter of obedience. 
Now, most of us will obey God in those areas that are easy and comfortable. But then it seems that we take the liberty to disobey in those areas where we want to do our own thing. So let's talk about this today and open our hearts and see what God has to say to us through this lesson. Now, at the very outset, lest lest some of you get the wrong idea from this lesson, let me make it abundantly clear that the account of Naaman is in no way teaching a works-based salvation. I remind you that salvation is by grace through faith. But as Martin Luther said, we're not saved by faith and works. However, we're saved by a faith that works. And John Calvin got in on it as well. And he said that man is saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so it's important for us to understand that that works will not save, but works will always follow genuine salvation. James chapter 2 says that works, that, that faith without works is dead. And so don't try to tell me this morning that you're saved if the faith that you have is not bearing any fruit. You know, it's not enough to just quote the promises of God without obeying the commandments of God. Are we still on the same page? Or do I need to stay here a while longer? All right, let's move on. Now, today we will see that in Naaman's quest to be healed, he made several mistakes. And we will be talking about three of them in just a couple of moments. But let me mention one here at the very beginning that pretty much summarizes all three of the mistakes. Naaman, seeking to be healed, went to the wrong source. And let me just explain that. Back in the Old Testament days, God raised the prophets that were, in a sense, his representatives or his voice. And during that time as a whole... People did not go directly to God. And that shift took place when Jesus Christ came to earth and, and the curtain that separated the holy of holies was uh, that, that kept common people like you and me out. It was ripped in half. And we were given direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen? Man, that, that, that was awesome right there. Thank God you don't have to come to me. I don't have to go to you. We can go directly to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what happened when Jesus came. The curtain was split in half. But, but during those days, the prophets were used by God to deal with many different issues. Not, not only spiritual issues, but at times even physical issues. They had God's power. They had God's anointing upon them. And, and many times were able to bring about miraculous healings. And so the servant girl that we read about in our scripture told Naaman about the prophet that could heal him. But it's interesting that Naaman bypassed the prophet and instead went to the king of Israel. But the king was not the right source. And just a quick application point here is that I want us to make sure that in times of trouble, we go to the right source. And I'm not against experts. I'm not against doctors. I'm not against attorneys. I'm not against pastors. And I'm not even against trying to make a difference through the political process. But but those people cannot take care of the deepest innermost needs of humanity. When it comes down to it, the right source is Jesus Christ, the living Son of God. And Jesus has also given us His written Word. And the written Word is the last word. The the last word is not CNN. (laughs) The the last word is not even Fox News. And I'm sorry for those of you that are addicted to it. that, that's why we've got New Destiny coming next week for those of you that have an addiction to Fox News. <laughs> but, but the last word and, and the right word is the living, inspired, the inerrant word of God. 
And, and too many people are seeking the word of man rather than the word of God. And there's a move in today's religious circles to get someone to prophesy over you. And, 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 and that's okay. I believe that God does sometimes speak through godly men and women. But if we're not careful, we will begin to seek all kinds of opinions rather than the opinion of the one that really matters. And that's God's opinion. Don't put more stock in man's words than God's word. Don't, don't give more importance to human voices over God's voice. And, and, and that's why it's so important for us to have a quiet time with God every day. And, and we need to get alone with God. You know, as an old timer once said, in a nook with the book and read and listen to what God says to us. Well, when Naaman went to the wrong source, the, the, the king, the, the, the king knew that Naaman's people were considered to be the enemy. And, and so he was suspicious that Naaman was coming just to spy on Israel. But not only that, the king knew that he did not have the power to heal. Well, in the meantime, uh, word of Naaman coming to town got around. And, and Elisha heard about Naaman's request to be healed. And, and we read this, but in verse 10, the Bible said that Elisha sent a messenger, you know, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored, you will be healed. But of course, Naaman's reaction was he became angry and stalked away. Now, for the rest of our time together... I want us to notice three things that Naaman tried to substitute for obedience. Can I just open my heart to you? I'm afraid that I'm going to see my name written over this. And I think you'll see your name written all over this as well. Number one, Naaman, first of all, tried to substitute reason for obedience. Reason for obedience. And, and again, look, look what Naaman said uh, in verse 11. He said, I thought he would surely come out and meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord as God and heal, uh, Lord, Lord as God and heal me. Isn't that like us? We think and have our expectations of the way that we anticipate God will work. You know, we think we're, we think we're smart. We, we think we're smart enough to read God's mind and sometimes even smart enough to tell God how to do His work. But God had another plan in mind for Naaman. Before we tell about that, let me stress that when the Bible gives you clear instructions on something, don't try to reason and figure out God. You're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough. It won't make sense. Just obey God. In fact, if God gives you clear instructions on something, guess what? You don't even need to pray about it. That's right. You don't need to pray, oh God, help me to know what. No, if God gives you clear instructions on something, you just need to obey. Even if it doesn't appear to make sense right now. You know, God's ways are so much higher than ours. And, and don't think that you will always understand His ways. But in our scripture, Naaman said, well, I, I thought, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy. It would be gone. But again, God had other plans. You know, this reminds me of Saul in the New Testament who later became the Apostle Paul. Remember Saul was sending Christians to prison and even killing them and 
And I suspect that many of the Christians that day were praying, oh, God, do something about Saul, maybe strike him dead, you know, get him out of the way, and he's a danger to the church of Jesus Christ. But God had another plan. Aren't you glad? He didn't strike him dead. Instead, one day, there on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden, a bright light came out of heaven, and God did strike Saul, but rather than strike him dead, he struck him alive. And through that event, Saul came to know Christ and became a great missionary. But I'm quite sure that's not the way the early church was praying. Another example in the Old Testament. Remember in the wilderness when the poisonous snakes were biting people right and left and there was a smell of death all through camp? And I'm sure the people of God were saying, God, get these snakes away from here. Kill them. Get rid of them, God. But again, God had other plans to save his people. And instead of killing all of the snakes, he had a brazen serpent put up on a pole. And when the people looked up at the brazen serpent, they were healed. Absolutely nobody apart from God would have thought of that. And some people may say, well, if God is so great, why doesn't he just get rid of the devil once and for all and just kill him? Well, God could do that. He could have done that a long time ago. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. You know that, don't you? But from the foundation of the world, God had another plan. And instead of killing the devil, he had a plan to raise his son up on a cross. And through his death, and then three days later, his resurrection, God accomplished the same thing. And that resurrection power, get ready to say amen, that resurrection power now makes us victors over Satan. Amen? So don't lock God into a rut. Don't lock God into a box. Don't lock God into tradition and think that he will do the same thing the same way every time. Let God be God. Let God be God. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say, let God be God? Would you do that? Let God be God. I read a story once about a man by the name of uh, Stephen Grellett and uh, old time story. Uh, he was a Quaker preacher back in the early days of America and his ministry was to the backwoodsmen and the lumberjacks at the base of Rocky, of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And Stephen Grellett was a man of prayer, very sensitive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit. And one day he was walking and praying and he felt led to go to this lumber camp and preach. And he went there thinking that God was going to prepare a great crowd for, for him there. But when he got there, not a soul was in the camp. I mean, the place was absolutely deserted. And he thought, well, maybe they're, over in, they're in the dining hall. He went over there, but it was empty. The cook wasn't even there. So he began to pray, Lord, I don't understand. I had a distinct impression from you that I needed to come and preach. But nobody's here. But, Lord, I, I don't know what you're up to. I'm still going to obey you. And Stephen Grellett opened his Bible, and without a soul in sight, he preached a full-length message with passion and anointing. When he finished, he gave an invitation. And even though no one was there, he still pled for people to come to Christ. He then prayed a prayer and left and said, Lord, I don't know what that was about, but I tried to be obedient. Now, you know, if I would do that today, you would probably commit me to an institution. Well, years later, Stephen Grellett went to England. He was standing by the London Bridge. And those of you that have been to London, you know this place. A man walked up to him and said, You're Stephen Grellett, aren't you? And he said, Yes. He said, Do you remember that time when you went to a lumber camp and preached to an empty camp? And Grellett said, Yes, I will never forget that. The man said, Well, let me tell you who I am. He said, I was the foreman of the woodsman. I was there, even though you didn't know. I'd come back to camp to get an axe. 
I heard you in there preaching. I stood behind a pile of lumber and I listened to you preach. And as you preached, my heart was strangely warmed and, and moved. And when you gave the invitation, I repented of my sin and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And by the time I got up my courage to go there and tell you what had happened, you had already left. But he went on to say that he ended up witnessing to four other men and they gave their hearts to Jesus. Those five men began a Bible study. And he said, all five of us now are missionaries preaching to people all around the world. This is a true story. Human reason is no substitute for obedience. Whether it makes sense, when God tells you to do something, would you just obey him? Secondly, we see that Naaman tried to substitute money for obedience. When Naaman went to get healed, look what he took with him. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. And Ken Hacker, I don't know what that would be worth right now, but and 10 sets of clothing. Now, now try to picture in your mind this influential man going loaded with gifts, thinking that he could buy his healing. You know, we've all heard the saying, money talks. And I can just imagine that Naaman thought, well, Elisha will come out of his house. He will be impressed with who I am and, and with all of my gifts. And I will take charge of the situation from the very beginning. And really, we're no different. You know, as prosperous Americans, we sometimes don't realize it and may not mean to, but we like to control situations with our money. And I pray that God helps us to really listen to this. And this frequently happens in churches and, and, and you're an exceptional church and as a whole most of you don't do this but in many churches you will have those church bosses with financial means and they will try to bully their way uh, with threats of withholding financial support if the church doesn't do what they want them to do and, and and by the way I don't believe that God is ever pleased with that and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say and Lord forgive me but there are times in Bolivia when you know, I, I was guilty of this. I, I tried to uh, kind of get my way with, you know, the money and that we had available. And and I pray that I pray that God would just help us never to be guilty of that. And I remember when we were getting ready to build this new building, we had a couple, and, and, and they're not here today. They were good people, and they happened to be people of means, and and they were per pushing for a particular feature in the church and, and, and the church board and the building committee and the staff that, that they felt this was not best. And, and the couple got upset, took their money and left, and, which is fine. God still took care of us, but we lost a good-sized donation because of that. But anyway, I can just imagine that Naaman standing before Elisha. He's there with a chariot full of gifts and kind of expecting to get some preferential treatment, but Elisha wasn't impressed and neither was God. Can I just say, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to you for your financial support here at the church. You're, 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 you're generous with your giving. You're generous with the package that you give the staff. And we're not deserving of what you give. But, but I don't care how much money you put in the offering bag here at the Church of God Holiness. If, if you're not obeying the Lord, that money will not earn you any favors from God. You can't buy God. You can't bribe God. You can't impress God with your giving. Well, Naaman also thought that he could substitute reputation for obedience. You know, when we apply for a new job, many times we have to list several different people that can be used as a reference and, and our hopes are that they will say good things about us. And 
And Naaman did the same thing. He got a letter of reference from the king of Syria. And if you could have read the letter, it probably would have said Naaman's an incredibly distinguished soldier. He's won medal after medal. He served faithfully as the general in my army. And based on that wonderful, his wonderful accomplishments and reputation, if anybody deserves to be healed, it's Naaman. So please take note of this and heal him. Once again, Elisha wasn't impressed. In fact, I find it interesting. Elisha didn't even come out of the house to personally meet Naaman. He sent a servant. I believe this speaks to the fact that God is no respecter of persons. You, you may be one of the most admired and most respected, most talented and, and most influential people in this community, but you know we'll never get to first base with God until we learn how to obey. Let's continue reading here in, in verse 10. But Elisha sent a messenger at him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored. You will be healed of leprosy. Now, question comes up, why did Elisha ask him to dip seven times? Why not eight times? Or why not five times or six times? Well, I don't know for sure. But I told you before that different numbers in the Bible have meaning. For example, one is the number of unity. There's one God. Two is the number of witness. Christ told his disciples to go two by two. Three is the number of deity, you know, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Four is the earth's number. It talks about the four corners of the earth, you know, north, south, east, west. Six is man's number. It's, you know, of course, the mark of the beast will have 666 in it. But seven in the Bible is the number of perfection. And God wanted him to dip in the Jordan exactly seven times no more no less I think that's where many people fail you know for example the, the, they say well the Bible does say that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together which means we should be faithful in church but they begin to reason things out and say but you know the Bible makes it clear that church doesn't save you you know it's by grace through faith so they come to the conclusion that it's not necessary to go to church. Um, and you would be surprised how many of those so-called stay home or go to the late Christians live in Eldorado Springs. And can, can I just say this kindly? But it, it, I know it's going to come across really bluntly. I have very little confidence in any stay-at-home Christian unless there are health issues. I know that sometimes there are circumstances that prevent them coming from church, coming to church. But I've never seen a stay-at-home, so-called Christian make much of a difference for Jesus Christ. Uh, these people, most of the time, are just trying to cut corners. You know, another example of people trying to cut corners is you will hear someone say, Well, I know the Bible teaches that we should forgive those who hurt us, and, and I'll forgive them, but I won't forget, and you won't find me having anything to do with them again. And I know that forgiveness doesn't mean that we have to be best buds. But an attitude like that generally is indicative of unforgiveness. You know, one more example, we say, well, yeah, the Bible does teach that we should tithe, but, but I think I'll just give a tip now and then because I'm not sure I agree with how the church spends its money. Or they don't have a building payment anymore, so they don't need my money anyway. And what do you, what do you suppose would have happened if Naaman would have tried to cut corners and say, well, this is so silly. Not going to do it. I'll dip in the river once or twice, but I'm not going to look like a fool and go under seven times. What do you think would have happened? He wouldn't have been healed. 
You know, God is never satisfied with with partial obedience. It, It would be like a wife that would say to her husband, Honey, I will be faithful to you 85% of the time. What husband here today would want a wife who's 85% faithful? God wants full obedience. And that full obedience begins in the small things. Well, Naaman's officers began to try to talk him into dipping in the river seven times and And they said, you know, if the prophet would have told you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? And they're in verse 13, and don't you think you should obey? And and so look what happened in, in, in verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his flesh became as healthy as a young child's, and he was healed. Naaman was completely healed. This is so convicting, but I believe that one of the reasons that we see so little power in the church today is because of partial obedience. How many of us here are guilty of saying, yeah, I I know I shouldn't be doing this, but... Or I know I should be doing this, but... I truly believe that if we would begin to fully obey God as members of this church, we would begin to see a newfound power around here. I believe we would begin to see more miracles of salvation. You know, those eight men that came to know Christ. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I I just don't have any sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. I'll admit that. But when when God helps me, it's just amazing what happens. And, And I was speaking at this conference um, with these men and 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 I, I told you I was supposed to give sessions on the armor of God and but I just felt there as I was standing that there were some men that needed Jesus and, and that wasn't even part of what I was supposed to be doing and but it, there was just that leadership of the Holy Spirit and I just kind of stopped and I said I, you know I don't know I just there may be some of you here that don't know Jesus and you've never invited him to come into your heart and it was at that moment that I gave the invitation and, and those eight responded and, and it was nothing that I did, but it was just that, you know, when we begin to rely on the Holy Spirit, things begin to happen. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. And I believe that, 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 that if we would begin to fully obey God as members of this church, uh, we would see a newfound power. We would see people come to know Christ. Uh, I believe we would see more miracles of restoration, families restored, marriages restored. And I even believe we would see more miracles of healing. So we try to wrap things up and I've just got some stuff burning in my heart today, but You know, first of all, as your pastor, I want to just make a commitment to you that with God's help, I want to try to obey God 100%. And I want to see you do the same. Because when we do that together, pastor and people, that I believe that God is going to just work in amazing ways. Could I just ask you this morning, what areas of partial obedience do you have in your life? Is it a habit or an addiction? And you would say, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but. Is it in the area of immorality, you know, pornography? 
Is it in the area of unforgiveness? Is it in the area of tithing? Is it in the area of gossip or legalism? Pride. You know, this morning I believe it would please God for us to do what Naaman did and just humble ourselves. And let's go the distance and fully obey God. Obey what God is asking us to do. So I don't know where this touches you. I know where this touches me. God has convicted me of some of some issues that with his help there's going to be complete full obedience. And this morning if God is convicting you, convicting you in an area of disobedience, would you just say God, here it is. Would you bow your heads? Nobody looking, please. Is there somebody here that would say, Pastor, God really spoke to me today. Would you just pray for me? Don't come back and embarrass me, but just just pray for me. Is there anyone that would just lift a hand? And thank you. I see your hand and your hand. Anybody else? God has spoken to me today. Anybody else? Pray for me. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Father, I just pray this morning that Lord, we would uh, we would go away from what is comfortable what I've been calling this morning partial obedience. I believe that limits that limits what God wants to do in our church, in our lives. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for those times where we've tried to reason our way through things instead of just obeying you. Or those times when we've tried to bully our way through money or maybe just our reputation. Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand that really in the we're nothing. We don't bring anything to the table without God. Now, when God comes into the equation, then yes, we become more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, but without God, we're nothing. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just humble ourselves. And Lord, this week, would you convict us of those areas of partial obedience? God, make us miserable. <laughs> Lord, I, I give you permission to do a work in my own heart. And if there's some partial obedience there, things that I'm not fully obeying, maybe 80% obedience or 90% obedience or 99% obedience, that's not enough. And Lord, I pray that just as Naaman, even though he didn't want to, yet he went to the Jordan River and he dipped one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There was that full, complete obedience. And I pray, God, that we would go the distance with our obedience. And so as we leave here today, Lord, would you just maybe fill in the gaps where I didn't do a very good job this morning, but let your Holy Spirit just speak to us and re-preach it in our hearts and minds again and again and again. And Lord, I pray that this week we would make a difference just as people watch us. They would see something different, something fresh about our lives. And God, for what you do for us, as always, we will praise you because it's all God. It's not about this church. It's not about the staff. It's not about me, but it's about you. 
and let us follow you. I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you so much for coming. It's great seeing your smiley faces and and even those of you that didn't have a smile. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.